welcome to the PCNP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Becky Carson, pediatric nurse practitioner and assistant professor at the Catholic University of America. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been encountering some pretty major antibiotic shortages recently. It's due to respiratory virus season, supply chain issues, and yes, even antibiotic overuse. But rather than discuss drug alternatives and where you can find them, I'd like to talk about recent evidence surrounding the most common diagnosis associated with antibiotic use in children in the United States, acute otitis media. Stay tuned as we remember the AAP AOM guidelines, review some new AOM literature on the current microbiology, and discuss some practical approaches to help the evidence make it to the bedside. Let's review the current AOM recommendations. I'm going to assume that you've read the AAP's 2013 guideline on the diagnosis and management of acute otitis media. If you haven't read it word for word, you may have a skewed perspective on who deserves the diagnosis, which patients need immediate treatment, what antibiotic to use, and for how long. Now might be a good time to go refresh your memory. I'll hit some high points you need to know and some of the most commonly ignored recommendations. Once you've assessed for pain and diagnosed acute otitis media, the guidelines offer guidance on treatment in the key action statements 3A, B, C, and D. Specifically, that young children and those with severe signs and symptoms warrant treatment with an antibiotic, while older children, those with mild symptoms, and those with unilateral AOM can safely undergo a watch and wait approach to treatment. Watchful waiting occurs when a clinician chooses to observe a patient or delay prescription for two to three days after the AOM diagnosis before prescribing antibiotics. But recent data from a systematic review suggests that 95% of patients are prescribed the prescription immediately. Hypothesized drivers for the reasons behind excess antibiotic use include parental pressure, demographics such as age, race, and geographic location, differences in provider clinical background, experience, or preference, and fears of superlative complications. Once you're ready to treat, Key Action Statement 4A tells us that amoxicillin should be the first-line antibiotic choice. This is because Streptococcus pneumoniae was the primary pathogen causing acute otitis media at the time of guideline publication. We'll come back to that. However, despite these recommendations and the fact that amoxicillin's narrow spectrum best treats strep pneumo, some 40% of prescriptions are for broad spectrum antibiotics like septinir or azithromycin. We'll also come back to the tricky science of this concept when we begin to look at new primary pathogens. The other frustrating failure on behalf of prescribers is the prolonged antibiotic course that most children get. Most patients, 94% to be exact, get a full 10-day prescription. Why? Because that number was pulled to be congruent with the recommendations on the treatment of strep throat with amoxicillin. But the guidelines have some fine print, not explicitly named in key action statements, that are often overlooked, despite their importance to antibiotic stewardship. We learn that a shorter, seven-day course is equally as effective in children ages two through five years with mild and moderate cases, which is most of them, and children over age six 
improve with just a five to seven day course. Now that you're all caught up on the current recommendations, let's see how changes in the microbiology of AOM are further impacting how we should be managing children. Because of the widespread use of the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine over the last two decades, there's been a sharp decline in the incidence of strep pneumo in AOM. And therefore, Haemophilus influenza is now the most common otopathogen, with Moraxella also on the rise. And that's good news because spontaneous resolution rates are higher in H. flu and Moraxella, 48 and 75% respectively. Therefore, meaning that antibiotics will less commonly be necessary or even beneficial. In a Cochrane review of randomized controlled trials comparing antibiotics with placebo, 60% of children improved within 24 hours of the start of treatment, whether they had placebo or antibiotics. A testament to the use of watchful waiting. Remember that viruses also account for about 20% of otitis in children. So between our rising bacterial otopathogens of H. flu and Moraxella and the viruses that inherently won't benefit from antibiotics, clinical data suggests that 78 to 85% of AOM episodes in our post-pneumococcal vaccine world will self-resolve without antibiotics. Therefore, nearly 75% of antibiotics prescribed in the U.S. are unnecessary, according to a 2022 commentary on microbiology trends by Frost and Hirsch. This is incredible. And what's more interesting is that we're likely to see a change in the recommendations surrounding first-line antibiotic choice in the next guidelines. Why? Because nearly half of H. flu and Moraxella isolates are antibiotic-resistant to amoxicillin thus warning a beta-lactamase protection offered by amoxicillin plus clavulinic acid. That's Augmentin. But because those pathogens so commonly self-resolve, I think you'll see in the next guideline an even greater emphasis on watch and wait plus supportive care with a recommendation backup prescription for Augmentin. So how can you adhere to the AAP guidelines with your newfound microbiology evidence? The answer is simple. Emphasize supportive care and limit your discussion of antibiotics. Make sure that families have therapeutic doses and timing of Tylenol and ibuprofen for fever and pain control. Encourage hydration and other comfort measures such as saline rinses, warm baths, and nasal suction. I know what you're thinking when you hear that. There is no way that parents are going to go for this. You may be surprised, and here's why. First, the watch and wait approach requires two things. One, shared decision-making with caregivers, meaning that you're partnering together in agreement with the plan. And two, a mechanism must be in place to ensure follow-up and begin antibiotic therapy if the child worsens or fails to improve within 48 to 72 hours of symptom onset. We'll touch more on that in a few minutes. I find that shared decision-making is easiest when the provider shares their expert knowledge, statistics, and rationale for why we do what we do so that parents can feel informed about risks, benefits, and the basics of pediatrics. In reality, parents are reasonable and want to do what's best for their kids. A child is five times more likely to experience harm from an antibiotic for AOM than benefit. When we discuss the risks of antibiotic misuse, 
like the risk of an allergic reaction, gut irritation causing diarrhea, the development of C. difficile, which is really bad diarrhea, antibiotic resistance, and the association with the development of chronic diseases later in life. The mood instantly lightens and you have a new teammate in the battle for antibiotic stewardship. Okay, so let's talk about that mechanism for follow-up to begin antibiotic therapy. Clinic is busy, and we often don't have time to sit on the phone and ask families how things are going. So you need a safety net and a way to prescribe antibiotics if the child shows no clinical improvement. There are a couple of options for this rescue prescription. If your front desk staff is able, you can write your recommendations in the provider note and they can call in the prescription for you. But for me, I provide a rescue prescription with specific instructions to the pharmacy, including the waiting period and an expiration date. On the notes to the pharmacist, I write, do not fill before X date when parent arrives, which is typically two to three days after I'm writing the prescription. And I write an expiration date that's five days after my diagnosis date. This means that the patient can't just go fill the prescription right away. They actually have to watch and wait to give self-resolution a chance to work. And it also means they aren't sitting at home with backup amoxicillin prescriptions in their pocket. And here's the thing. It actually works. Kids get better on their own and parents don't unnecessarily fill the prescription. A retrospective cohort study by Smolensky et al. in 2022 looked at over 2 million cases of AOM and found that only 2.8% of patients managed with watchful waiting filled the antibiotic prescription after the first three days of diagnosis, which is also congruent with similar studies conducted in Europe. Don't worry, parent satisfaction is still very high with this method of management. And because money talks, Watchful waiting saves families and society a lot of money on the back end. So where do we go from here? We know that clinician practice patterns are the biggest driver for antibiotic overuse in otitis media. Worse than patient factors or even parental pressure. You have to shift your thinking away from the belief that all bacterial infections need an antibiotic. Realize that most children with AOM will not benefit from antibiotics and only need supportive care. More importantly, realize that you're more likely to cause harm by prescribing an antibiotic than good. Swap out your default practice to supportive care with no antibiotic, partnering with the family to watch and wait with a method for follow-up and treatment if the child is not clinically improving. And if you still feel like you could use some help getting there, the CDC and AAP have free tools online to help shift your practice and improve your prescribing practices. Check out the core elements of outpatient stewardship antibiotic change package listed in the references. I hope that you'll like, comment, and subscribe to the PEDSNP, where we focus on the practical application of evidence-based practice. Follow me on Instagram at the PEDSNP podcast. Email me at thepedsnp at gmail.com. Tell your friends about your favorite episode by texting a link on your favorite streaming platform or share the episodes page of www.thepedsnp.com where you can also read show notes and references. 
There's no financial support or conflict of interest in this or any episode of the Peds NP. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. You can do more good by prescribing less with watchful waiting. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.